VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. It seems like you know ball the way you talk, so... <laughs> Thank you. Someone clip that. I'm not playing in your league unless I can draft myself. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of football, I live a pretty boring life. With Matt Harmon. This is an anti-getting greedy podcast here. I've seen you guys' podcast have blown up here recently, so glad to get on. It's Tuesday. January 17th and we have what was basically uh, flawless might seem a little aggressive but a fantastic weekend of playoff football here to discuss we got a lot to go over we got a lot to get into here to do that with us today is recap royalty Andy Barons Andy welcome to the show first of all I gotta ask you the one pressing question that I think we're is on everybody's mind coming out of this past weekend how many times have you sang the Burger King jingle to yourself <laughs> or to those around you in the last three or four days? Uh, bro, that's some that's some pretty effective advertising because they're getting like a lot of buzz marketing out of it, too. Right. Yes. Because we're all complaining about it. But that's you know, that's fine. I don't know how many times I've seen like whopper, 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 whopper in my feed. Um, good. Like tip of the cap to, to Burger King. Very well done. Um, spectacular wild card round. It really never lets us down. The the Bucks Cowboys game felt a little bit disconnected from it, um, yeah. both in quality and you know the fact that it was a Monday game and all that. But um, great weekend, Re- really fun stuff. Good show, good show, NFL. Yeah, I, I don't know if the goal of marketing, and I d- I don't know what the goal of marketing is because it's not my job. My job is to you know talk about football what a what a weird thing to say out loud um but i don't know if the goal of marketing is just to get me to sing uh the the jingle and potentially ruin my marriage if that's the goal of marketing yes then (laughs) goal achieved if it's to make me buy burger king that hasn't particularly worked yet but hey that's just another topic for another day burger king i'll sing the i'll sing the jingle if you want to sponsor the podcast i'll say that let me just (laughs) let me just leave it at that all right no more messing around Let's get down to business. We are going to talk about that um, disconnected game here first. Cowboys 31, Buccaneers 14. Andy, the 2022 Buccaneers died as they lived, man. They were boring. <laughs> they were. They, this was the team that we got all year long. Uh, Frank Schwab could not have been any more right uh, on this very podcast saying like, hey, all of this concern about Dallas, you know, going to face the Bucs and, and, and Tom Brady's record versus the Cowboys – Throw all that crap out because the Bucks are a bad team. And the Cowboys are not a bad team. It really was um, just. We'll talk about the Bucks here in a second. I want to focus on the Cowboys because it was just an incredible game by Dallas. It started off a little tight, but it did, that did not last very long. 
Yeah, opening couple series um, were like the the was threatening to be a really boring game, and I thought for a second we were just going to get the worst version of the Cowboys. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the, o- the only thing I put in the in the in the show notes for this was I just thought it was a triumph of a game from Kellen Moore. Um, you don't you, you just don't see that many like walk in touchdowns, um, and and when you do, y- you know that a, a coordinator has just really got the opposing defense where he wants them right like they just caught tampa bay leaning all the time um from the first score of the game tampa defenders are distracted by everything but the tight end who's streaking down the middle of the field right like unchecked um walk in touchdown from from dak walk in touchdown from cd lamb it was just a you know for all the for all the heat that i assume kellen moore has been taking locally and and has deserved at various points just uh just a magnificent game plan right and made things dak obviously had a great game there's no no two ways about it but he man that that game plan sure made things easy for Dak. Um, they, they were not evenly matched teams. You're right in the way that you're like, how, like, how do we get 66 pass attempts from Tom Brady? And it's so boring and so <laughs> uninteresting. Um, th- that shouldn't be. Um, but the, you know, the receivers were underwhelming. There were drops. Um, it's just a really, really uninteresting offense. Um, and it's just a, it's a, it's a team that, you know, obviously great a few years ago, but, um, they're at the end of their run and they, they're, they're done. They were cooked. Um, and the Cowboys were wonderful. They obviously they're, they're heading into a very different degree of difficulty matchup now, but, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really looking forward to that thing because this version of the Cowboys is, that's a really exciting team. That's a dangerous team. I know. Yeah, it is a very exciting team to think about. I'm glad that you highlighted Kellen Moore because that was that was sort of like a hire me as a head coach type of game from Kellen Moore. He's gotten a couple interviews. And I also think like I know Kellen Moore has taken a lot of crap. He's been the coordinator, I think, since either 2018 or 2019. Um, He predates Mike McCarthy. Right. Like he's a he's one of these Cowboys lifers that Jerry like. Mm identifies when he's a player it's the same with Jason Garrett and then ends up eventually pushing him up the coaching ranks but I've always really liked the way that Kellen Moore designs offenses and I think sometimes the sequencing and the play calling and the actual rhythm the flow of the game has gotten away from him I don't think that's as much of a a criticism this year I I think the I think the offense has been really really good despite the fact that their personnel is you know sort of whatever I think Kellen Moore's had a great year I think he would be a deserving head coach and he's also like, you know, I know that Washington fired Scott Turner. I know that, um, you know, the Jets fired Michael Floor, mutually parted ways with Michael Floor, whatever. But those guys sort of fit in the same bucket to me as like these guys whose offenses are really well designed. And I don't think they've always got that sequencing and pattern and flow of the game right. But the, when you let these guys kind of learn on the job and, you know, it, it, Dallas is not usually thought of as a patient place although they've given these you know guys like Jason Garrett and even Wade Phillips before him you know years and years and years uh, of run out it does eventually bear out like the fruit eventually bears there like that these guys figure it out on the job so I, I was excited that Kellen Moore had that game in a big spot and Dak Prescott man I saw somebody I'm gonna butcher the stat but I think I saw something to the like Dak Prescott recorded the most EPA of like any playoff game ever that it's been tracked uh, since EPA has been tracked. So just a great game by him. And it it did start, you know, Troy Aikman was on him early about being like tight and being uh, tight in the pocket. And Aikman was on him a lot. He was on him a lot. Yeah. Even deep into the game. Part of me, part of me thinks like, you know, Aikman's got to sit there and hear Joe Buck be like, and that's, you know, uh, just Dak Prescott with another Cowboys record. Aikman's going to be like, (laughs) yep. Yep. 
God almighty, man. But yeah, um, Aikman's usually, which, I mean, you got to give him credit. He's pretty hard on the Cowboys. Uh, you got to give him credit yeah. for that. But uh, yeah, no, I think that Dak rebounded really well, was just precise. And, you know, they just had the Bucks defense number basically from, you know, the second or third drive, pretty much. Like, they knew what was coming. They knew what pitch it. Like, as soon as they felt out the game and they figured out the coverages and all that, they figured out where pressures were coming from. They were able to really get after it. So, you know, the Cowboys will, will go forward. Like you said, tough matchup, obviously, next week against San Francisco. But when Dak plays like that and the offense flows like that, they can absolutely beat anyone. Yeah, they absolutely can. And I, I just again, I, I hope that we get this version of the Cowboys moving forward because that has the potential to be, you know, given the history of the two teams, all that the level at which they're both playing most recently um, that this could just be a spectacular game. I hope it is. I hope it's not like, obviously, I hope none of them are duds, but um, I'm I'm about as excited for that as I am for any game next weekend. Yeah, me too. Um, I think that when we look at the Bucks, you know, Bucks postmortem, welcome to the wilderness. I Oof. mean, pretty much is how, is how I feel about Tampa Bay. Like I said, they died as they lived. They're a poorly coached team. They're a poorly prepared team. Um, they play sloppy. They leave plays on the field in the passing game. This is, if you were unfamiliar, you know, if you just tuned into the, the NFL playoffs, yeah, this is the first football you watched all season long. And you're like, what is the deal with this like Tampa Bay team? What's going what's going on here? You know, uh, they, they can't hit deep passes like Brady's missing Mike Evans by a mile on short passes. Mike Evans is, you know, letting a pass go through his fingertips at the very end of the game. What's going on? He's like, welcome. To, this is this was the Bucks experience all year long. So this was not shocking there. That was every Mike Evans game, with the exception of the the spectacular Carolina game, right, when fantasy managers needed him most, if if you actually still made it all the way to the finals with Mike Evans on a roster. Um, with the exception of that one game, like, this was Mike Evans' entire season. Um, and, the, like, the numbers were fine, 70-plus um, receiving yards. But man, um, that that team has left so many yards and so many points out there all year. It and it's just I I have no easy explanation for it because it really looks as if Brady and Evans like every game this year. It looks like they're they're just meeting for the first time. And and hey, we can forgive it because they have no chemistry. They've never played together, but in fact, they have played together and they've played really really well <laughs> together. And yeah. Mike Evans scored a million touchdowns like last year. Um, it's wild. It is, it is very difficult to explain. And now Tampa's of course in the spot where did like, is anybody coming back other than Rashad white? Right. Like, um, I, I don't, I don't know who the Tampa quarterback is next year. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what their plans are for either of these, uh, uh, any of their receivers. Um, and I, I like Godwin, I Godwin got a new deal last year. You'd imagine he's, he's probably the one you feel best about being back. I, I, I would feel best about him. I don't like, is Leonard Fournette going to be there? I know, I know he's got some money next year, but, um, he, he looks, well, they cooked. rested him. They rested him in the back half of the year, you know? So oh my God. That was phenomenal. And I, I like, I generally do not have complaints about Troy Aikman, but I thought that was really funny that he, that he gave yeah. us a hard sell on the idea that the Bucks had simply been, you know, holstering secret playoff weapon, Leonard Fournette. I mean, Leonard Fournette has looked a step slow, maybe two steps slow. He's obviously playing through some stuff. Um, credit to him for doing that. But, but they didn't just have Leonard Fournette wrapped in bubble. Like Leonard Fournette no. was not a helpful player late in the season. He was not a helpful player in this game. Um, they were the worst running team in football this year. Um, they they passed more often than any other team, and to to no effect. Um, 
Tom Brady threw 66 passes and averaged 5.3 yards per attempt, which is obviously just oh. dreadful. So like the raw passing total was fine, but again, 66 attempts and so many yards left out there. Yeah, such a listless ending to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Tom Brady era, which was obviously a super successful um, venture by Tampa Bay for the most part. And it's just it's going to be weird if you know Brady obviously didn't commit to coming back. He didn't commit to anything. We know he's obviously changed his mind about this before. I still expect him to probably play next year. I can't imagine that's the note he wants to go out on. But at the same time, if like you're going to really ask you know casual football fans to get excited about Tom Brady. You know, and, and this big free agency per, pursuit or whatever. And that was the last glimpse we got of him. Not a very exciting thing to go in on here. But I agree. Yeah, I think the Bucks are totally headed for, you know, a, a rebuilding wilderness type of situation. You know, Blaine Gabbert's not even under contract. The great Blaine Gabbert, who owes Bruce Arians, <laughs> like, his entire career. Uh, he's not under contract next uh, year. It's basically Kyle Trask, and that's it. I have I have no idea what the 2023 Tampa Bay Buccaneers look like, other than you mentioned uh, Rashad White, Chris Godwin. Like, Mike Evans certainly could get moved. I, if I was a if I was another team, I would be I would still be interested in, like, buying low on Mike Evans. I think there sure. hasn't been necess- necessarily anything you know, wrong with Mike Evans outside of a few drops and miscues and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I think Tampa Bay could be open for business. And honestly, like we could see coaching staff changes too. We don't know that here yep. Tuesday morning as we're recording it, but I don't feel great about Todd Bowles as the head coach going forward. I don't feel good about Byron Leffage as the offensive coordinator going forward. So I think we could see some coaching staff changes there. Let's move on to another game here. 49ers, 41 Seahawks 23 we're doubling all the way back to Saturday baby and this was this game Andy was interesting just because you got to kind of remember I know I just said the final score but you got to remember that the first half was was close here and then Seattle just uh you know they put up a fight very valiant effort but they just got overtaken by the amount of talent and the way that talent is put in a great position by Kyle Shanahan on the 49ers here yeah, just a stupid amount of talent, um, skill position talent on offense for the 49ers. And like this is this felt like what it should have been all year or or certainly like once at the point that you have Christian McCaffrey on the roster, too. And you've got McCaffrey yeah. and Debo and Ayuk and Kittle. And like, I, I mean, you should you should be able to put up 40 on anybody. Um, and, and this was obviously really good to see the number of times that like. Uh, this is a collegiate thing. The number of times that a 49ers receiver is the only person in the camera frame is wild. To me. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Such a testament a to their skill and also obviously the the scheme and the offense generally. But you just don't. So that's Big 12 football. That's not that's not the NFL. That's not how this normally that's not how this normally looks. And then, you know, because of the number of, of sort of comfortable throws that are available to Brock Purdy or whoever is quarterbacking in this scheme, um, like, man, I, 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 there's no player that I'm I will. This is a weird thing to say because nobody had an opinion on Brock Purdy coming into the year. But in the end, like there's not going to be a player that I am more wrong on than Brock Purdy because I just flat out <laughs> didn't believe it after one game. Um, his like. Obviously, when things go according to script for the Niners, they all look great. Garoppolo looks great. Purdy looks great. Um, when things go haywire and he's like in a really noisy pocket and things are breaking down, there's no reason why Brock Purdy should look this comfortable. Um, yeah. But like it got to the point where you're just expecting something great to. Ha- oh, man. Brock Purdy's getting, you know, getting <laughs> flushed. Well, they're probably going to score. Like that's that's what you were thinking by the end of the game. Like that's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, it's such a testament to to 
how much he's improved and and obviously the coaching the coaching of Brock Purdy his commitment to getting better we've we've read all the stuff now about him really working on his mechanics and he's like added vol- like it's a weirdly common story for quarterbacks to actually add velocity when they come into the NFL I know it was a thing that it wasn't part of the Aaron Rodgers story right and it's part of the Brock Purdy story he, but he just looked great. Um, like his his second half was fantastic. The ball to Jennings was fantastic. Like just what what a game. Yeah, I think you can definitely you can nitpick Brock Purdy's throws. Like I, I, he should have definitely led the the deep Jennings pass. He should have led him more outside, not led him mm-hmm. into the hit. You can definitely nitpick all that stuff. But he's the last pick in the draft, right? Like we, we have to always come back to that. And, oh, was he? And I, I'll let, yeah, I'll I've, heard I've heard that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have heard. I have heard that before. Uh, my sources are telling me he was the last pick in the draft. And that is Your a research big team. deal. Yeah. My, my research. Yeah. My crack research team here uh, <laughs> in the podcast studio uh, are telling me that he is the last pick in the draft. So coming back to that, I, your point about how comfortable he is in the eye of the storm is so well taken, because I think that has been an issue with Jimmy Garoppolo that he's never really gotten better mm. with. Like he has yeah. never been com- like when things start to break down his second punch often does not land. That's been basically who he was as a collegiate player. It's who he was with the New England Patriots and pretty much throughout the even his great years with the 49ers. If you can get him off script, if you can heat him up a little bit, good things are not coming. But Purdy has been incredible um as he not I mean incredible, but like but comparison wise, he's been great as a scrambler. He's been great uh you know improvising off script. That's been what's so fun to watch about him because I think he has not just kept the ship afloat with Jimmy, like with Jimmy Garoppolo out. I think he's actually elevated this offense to another level here. Um, that I, I'm not. There were moments in this game where I was like, "Uh oh, is Purdy, you know, feeling it a little bit?" The early, the early pressure stuff like that. But he rebounded, and and how can you not rebound in this offense? You're so right that there are times. You know, when Ayuk catches like a dig route or a crossing route in the middle of the field, and there's just no, there's, there's no, one, no there. one there. You know, Debo catches a three yard pass, and it's, it is like Florida, like the gate, you know, the great Gators teams of old playing like, you know, North Dakota, Southwest State, uh, you know, or whatever, <laughs> where Debo catches a three yard pass, and he's not just going to take it. He, he does often take it for like 10, 15 more yards, but it's like, now he's going to take that three yard pass. He could probably house it. Let's like he, yeah. you know, he did in this game. I mean, it's unbelievable stuff. It is like the fully realized Kyle Shanahan offense. You know, he's not just doing like the old Mike Shanahan uh, outside zone stuff anymore. They're running like power stuff with Christian McCaffrey. It's it's a cra- it's a crazy offense right now. And like, if you love football, I don't know how how you don't love watching this offense. Yeah, I I mean, I it wasn't it was like a month and a half ago, two months ago that that, you know, we we had jokes about the fact that, like, here's this offense that has Debo and McCaffrey and Ayuk and Kittle, and they're somehow averaging just like 22 points a game. How the how the hell is that? Well, this is this is what it ought to be like. Now you've got the full expression of Kyle Shanahan's offense with with brilliant chess pieces. And that was really fun to watch it uh, like it's a. It's a lousy defense. It'll be really fun to see him yeah. against a game record like Micah Parsons, right? Like he was, we didn't even talk about him. He was a big part of the story against Tampa. He, I just, know, yeah, good point. he was just blowing <laughs> it up. Um, and that like, that'll be really fun because we've got some defensive difference makers in that, in that game as well. And obviously another huge challenge for Purdy. But I, I, again, I, I can't, I can't stress it enough. Like it'd be, Normally, backups, even like second string quarterbacks in the NFL, you, you know, all you're hoping is that like when things go according to script, they can they can make the throws. 
And when things go off script, they don't do anything disastrous. But you don't like you just don't get backups where like, oh, man, things have gone off script. They're probably going to score. Brock Purdy is going to is going to make something. That's just not what your third string quarterback does. It's certainly I, it's wild. It's an incredible story. Um, and man, tip of the tip of the cap to him. Yeah. And I, I think the one last point on this offense, there's a tendency and I get it from sports fans. Sometimes I, I don't this doesn't tend to bother me or whatever. But like the idea of, oh, you know, you went out and you created this like like super team or whatever like with some some of the times the bucks were this team like okay you went out and you got tom brady and then you got antonio brown and you got gronk and leonard fournette and i get it you have mike evans chris godwin but then you go out and you get julio jones and you know russell gage who we didn't mention either who god russell gage like you know thinking about that guy as he went to the hospital yeah. still as of now in the hospital um right now but you know you go out and you get all these guys like a super team whatever the 49er uh, the 49ers outside of McCaffrey like these are all homegrown guys like these aren't you know we, we think of it as like wow this super team star-studded offense but Debo was a second round pick George Kittle your your guy was like a day three draft pick I mean and he's yep. developed into one of the best tight ends in the NFL Ayuka is a guy who they drafted in the first round but took a minute to become the fully and nobody knows that better than me that he took a second there to become the fully formed player that he is right now um Purdy obviously last pick in the draft as my research team just told you <laughs> like these are <laughs> even Elijah Mitchell who's like an yep. under underdog kind of guy and plays still plays a big role in this offense you know and it, these are guys outside of McCaffrey that are all homegrown guys and McCaffrey certainly has been the final sprinkle uh, on, on the cake here he's been the final icing uh, on the layer on top that's taken it to this another level but this is just a testament to team building and stuff like that I think that if you like I said if you really love football if you really love offensive football how do you not get gassed up by this and there's not even that twinge of like oh it's a super team type of thing like this is a yeah. team that the 49ers have built and strived for for years I feel like we don't do the super team thing like the cringing about that as much in the NFL as we do in, you know, people do it in baseball. They do it and they do they do it in the NBA. Certainly like um, it often it often doesn't work in the NFL, right? Yeah. Like you can't just go like you have a shopping list and you throw them all on an NFL roster and immediately you're a contender like that just doesn't work very often. And usually the teams that have the buzziest off seasons and everything is different. You know, they're going to they're probably going to face plant. They're going to do the Denver thing. Yeah, that that certainly seems about right. Um, on the the Seahawks here, before we move on, a little postmortem for them. They, I don't want to say like, oh, good job, and this is all you made it here. Congratulations, type of thing. Because I know Pete Carroll and the guys don't feel that way. But you look at this team, and it's still so young on defense. We've thrown some some criticism at the defense, but they're very young over there. They're very young on the offensive line. You imagine those two units can progress after a fantastic draft class on both sides of the ball and, and elsewhere this past year. Really, I, I think Seattle is set up well to continue to rebuild. Now, if it's me, I, I'm bringing back Geno. I'm franchising Geno. I'm doing whatever I got to do to keep that intact. Because um, I wouldn't say Geno was obviously perfect in this past game. It wasn't flawless or anything, but still made some great throws through with without any fear through into the teeth of some tight coverage to DK Metcalf on the outside Metcalf had a big game with 10 catches um like you have Metcalf you have Lockett you have Kenneth Walker as a running back who I think you can continue to progress and grow like that passing game I think is the kind of the old man group of the the roster right now but I would bring Gino back and you know continue to develop the rest of the roster 
Yeah, it's a, um, it, it's quite a, like, I, I don't know of all the, just off the top of my head of all the teams that are facing huge, um, you know, direction of the franchise sort of decisions right now. Um, what Seattle does at quarterback to me is, is one of the biggest ones because it's obviously a great situation. You've got, you've got wonderful receivers in, in Metcalf and Lockett. They could decide now, like, and Gino just balled out this year, obviously 30 touchdown passes leads almost 70% completion percentage. Um, he was wonderful. Um, like absolutely deserves pro bowl recognition, all that, like he was great, but you got to decide if you're going to have a Gino Smith era. Or if you want, because they have, like, they've got the fifth pick in the draft and then they've got another first round pick. So they have all the assets that you would want to to just go ahead and get the number one pick if you want that. Like, they are, they are very much in the discussion. They can probably outbid anybody if that's what they choose to do. Like, you could have the... You could have a decade of Bryce Young if you want it, or you could have the Geno Smith era and they got to they got to choose. And and Geno made it a choice like Geno really made it a discussion. I assume coming into this year, they had not imagined a scenario where they could where anybody could even entertain the thought of being like, hmm, maybe we want to maybe we want to just just do the Geno thing for the next four years <laughs> until he's 36 or whatever. But now that's like a valid discussion. I get it. Um, I don't think it's where I'd go. I, th I think, you know, but that, but it comes down to their opinion of the quarterbacks at the, at the top of this class. And it's a really good class. I, I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that quick to say, oh, they got to just resign Gino and run it back. Yeah, I guess it is definitely worth a discussion and it, it kind of, do you look big picture? Do you look short, you know, short term, whatever? Cause I think, I, I do think that the Gino contract negotiation will be really fascinating. Obviously the, the, he's really loved there and and there's a ton of goodwill but what type of contract do you give Geno Smith I, I think that's a that's sort of the weird part right now because he's 31 32 years old like he's not exactly a a young ascending player but we'll see what they do there we have a lot of time to uh debate and discuss what Seattle is going to do at quarterback let's move on to the next game here Jaguars 31 Chargers 30 oh 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 the Chargers man 27 to nothing Seems like this game's in the bag, but man, it was the biggest chargering of all the chargers that have ever chargered what went on <laughs> in that game. Uh, unbelievable. Um, we'll come back. Let's put a pin in the in the chargers here for a second. Jaguars, man. I mean, I, I thought I thought Trevor Lawrence was gonna pull the full Delome. You never yeah. want to go full Delome, but <laughs> second half, uh, Trevor Lawrence came out firing and it was it was incredibly impressive. The um the the throw I guess that I want to highlight the play that I want to highlight here and I you know there'll be a couple but but at, at it's not it's not second half Trevor Lawrence it was the the throw to Evan Ingram for the touchdown at the end of the first half which hmm. like if they don't score there the the yeah. math just isn't with them there's just not yeah. time right like they needed that touchdown for to even entertain the idea of coming back in that game, they needed to score that touchdown. And um, obviously he had, he had already thrown four interceptions to that point and to pull the trigger on that ball. Cause that was like as open, but that was like high level NFL. Open, yeah. Right. Like it's only open for about a second. And only if you can put it over one guy and between two other guys and get like, give your tight end a chance to go up and get, and it was just a beautiful throw. And to, to, to just fearlessly um, put that ball in the air in, in those circumstances, having already thrown four picks, 
two of which were legit bad throws, right? Like oh, one yeah. was batted twice and whatever, we can forgive that. And the other one was on fourth down and it didn't really cost him much, but like two of them were terrible throws. Um, the, the ball to Ingram was just incredible. And again, if they don't, you know, we, some, sometimes like you can, you can, sometimes it's easy to know when the hinge point of a game is, um, in real, in real time, right? Like it was pretty obvious in the, in the Bengals game with the Ravens, right? Like there was a defensive touchdown, huge swing. Um, but <laughs> <to> the, that. <laughs> I, I felt like the play in the, in the Chargers Jaguars game, as you look back on it, it's, it's right before the two minute warning in the second quarter when the Chargers have like inches to get a first down, right? It's like third and one, but it's really third and like a foot or something like that. And they call that weird jet sweep to bandy of all people and he's 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 not even expecting to get the ball and he kind of turns away from it and becomes this fumble and they recover it and then you gotta you gotta kick and that set up that that gave the jaguars like a two-minute uh opportunity that they fully took advantage of and that's like where the whole game swung because if you just if you just run the clock out there yep it's done right like there's not time um wild just a, a super entertaining game feel terrible for chargers fans for for austin like that's yeah. wild um but it, but uh on the other side of this just an incredibly impressive game from trevor lawrence to to rebound from that like in real time and come back and just play a badass half of football after playing a super sketchy half it, it was sort of like a microcosm of the who the jaguars were all mm -hmm. year um because they have had a, moments of brilliance they've had incredible trevor lawrence games then they've also had some of these games just like do we need you know people like do we need to have a conversation about trevor lawrence and yeah. how good he is and, I, and like that was the first half and the second half <laughs> and obviously I'm, I'm glad you point out that last drive because I was having conversations with with people about like whether Brandon Staley is like a good coach. We'll talk about Brandon Staley here in a second. And, and the one thing I think you could definitely say is like objectively true with Brandon Staley is he is a good defensive game planner. Um, the game plan that they had in the first half, where it's like, you know, we're going to just man the crap out of these guys. We're going to be physical. We're going to make throws really tough. Like we don't trust you know, Zay Jones and Marvin Jones, we're going to, we're going to try to push these throws to the out. Just pretty similar, almost, almost very similar to what they did um, against Tua, where against it's like, Tua. we're going to push, yeah, yeah we're going to push these throws to the outside and you're going to have to take tight man coverage throws, not to, you know, Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. It's actually, by the way, it's going to be to Zay Jones and Marvin <laughs> Jones and stuff like that. Okay. No, you know, no disrespect to Zay Jones who had a good season, but you, you get where I'm going with this whole thing. And that was a great defensive game plan. And then they completely, I felt like they completely got away from it in, in the second half, but still that first drive against, and I wonder if that maybe that haywired Staley's brain, because I think there's the other thing you could say is objectively true about Brandon Staley is he's a terrible in-game manager, you know, not just like yeah. the fourth down go field goal decision, stuff like that. Um, the playing time stuff that we've critiqued, you know, with Mike Williams in the final uh, week of the season, my God, like to go to go away from things when they're working is a bit, pretty big problem with this Chargers team in general. And I, I think that maybe getting that last drive there as they still were sort of in their primary game plan, it felt like the Chargers, maybe that sent them a little haywire in the second. The, the whole team you could felt was tight. You could feel the whole team was tight uh, for the L.A. Chargers. It felt that way, felt that way with how they called plays. It felt that way with how they managed the game. You know, maybe not every single player on the sideline or anything like that, obviously. Uh, but I think that was a big thing. And and meanwhile, the Jaguars just had a faith in themselves and had faith in their quarterback, and that faith was rewarded. 
Yeah, and obviously the Jaguars have all seen them come back in improbable circumstances before, so I'm sure that was really helpful. Um, the Chargers are also not, you know, as uh, another thing that I wrote in the in the pod outline, they're they're not a team that is built to just grind you to dust when um, no. they've when they've got a big lead, right? Like they're not. I mean, they were that. The, the thing is, obviously, Austin Eckler had a massive fantasy season, but it kind of masked the fact that they were not very good at running the football uh, like otherwise. Right. right. Like Austin did it in a million different ways and he's a super versatile player. Um, their run game was one of the was like 30th in the league, um, averaged less than four yards per carry. Right. Not super efficient. And then obviously in the second half, it was also like what they tried to do was pretty predictable. They only ran Austin Eckler on first. He got five carries. They were all first down carries. They didn't really go anywhere. And that was it. And then we're, and then we're throwing, um, and, <laughs> and they just kept giving the ball back, right? Like, um, they are, they are not the team that is built to just go on an 11 minute drive that, you know, just drains your soul away and, um, uh, it crushes the math of the game and then they're, and then they win, right? Like they're not built for that. And wow, did it show? Yeah. And obviously I don't think it's all, you know, Austin's been really hard on himself on the podcast all year long about it, despite the fact he's having this incredible fantasy season, despite the fact that he's scored more touchdowns than anybody the last two years, he's mentioned that he's not, he's, he was not fully happy with his season. And a part of it was the the running game stuff. And I, I'm not sure it's all necessarily his fault, no. um, but I've, you know, but that's a, uh, that's certainly the way if you, if we got anything from Austin on the podcast this year, even if it's not all his fault, he's going to take a lot of the blame uh, himself, you know, Altogether, by the way, like they weren't one of the worst like success rate rushing teams. They weren't one of the worst like EPA per rush teams. But I think a lot of it was when they called the runs, as you mentioned, by the way, uh, as we found out this morning, Joe Lombardi's not going to be the offensive coordinator of this team next year. We can dive into that and all that that means here. Um, but they're, the timing of when they ran, um, the offensive line was an issue all year long. Guys got injured. Guys didn't have the seasons that they were hoping for. So I think the run game was – that was a great point. Like – of any team in the NFL that was not going to be able to close out a 27 to nothing lead <laughs> with their run game, it was going to be the LA chargers. That yeah. was not going to be, that's not their thing. And it comes, then it comes back to the passing game and we can just kind of do the postmortem on the, on the chargers right now. They do fire uh, Joe Lombardi, you know, shout out Joe Lombardi, all that stuff, uh, you know, but my God, I'm never rooting for somebody to get fired, but something had to be done with this passing offense, even before this game, man, this has been one of the most frustrating passing offenses in the NFL uh, to watch this year, despite some of the talent that they have. Um, yeah, in, in large part, because they just don't, they don't really maximize the, the talents of a, a quarterback who can put the ball anywhere on the field right like yeah that that's that's just really annoying and maybe maybe that's a reflection of what they think they have in their in their receiving core i i guess um yeah but, but that's they, their fault they they built yeah. this that's, they built this receiver core <laughs> yeah absolutely um they just don't go downfield enough and again like justin herbert can put the ball like wherever he wants it 70 yards downfield and and we just don't get enough of it i mean i feel like that was the story of his season last year, the the number of like, you know, receivers that you'd barely heard of or receivers that you forgot were on the roster were, were scoring 65 yard touchdowns because, you know, like Herbert, again, he can like the ball can go anywhere. And they, we just didn't see enough of that this year. A lot of short stuff. Um, uh, they were overwhelmingly pass heavy all season. 
um, and just not particularly inventive with it. Um, they obviously have plenty of talent. I don't, I don't know if there's a, is there a choice to be, to be made on Keenan Allen, um, at this point? I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't know if they keep rolling with what they have. It feels like at at a minimum and they're doing this already, but you have to dismantle a lot of this coaching staff. Staley is a is a difficult call. Um, and I was thinking about this as you were as you were discussing Kellen Moore and the idea of like coach development at the NFL level, which, you know, maybe that shouldn't be a thing at the head coach level. But like, wasn't wasn't Brandon Staley like a D3 position coach? Like, yeah, not that not long. That ago. long, like five years ago, he was he was at John Carroll or something like that. And, and oh yeah, dude, this guy was coached at James like JMU. Okay, like shout out yeah. to JMU, uh, one of Virginia's finest universities, uh, of course. But I mean, my God, JMU, bro, give me a break. Yeah, I mean, we've uh, you know, I I think there's a lot to like about about Staley, but um, we can't very well expect him to just land in the NFL and be bill belichick or anything like that and it's it's kind of true of mcdaniel too right like these these guys who are just like they're gonna have to develop on the job a little bit and they're gonna have to be like in the fire and experiencing choices that they've not had to to encounter at at the levels that they've previously visited and and you also don't want to just shake the edge of sketch on your team every year you can't just be like well that was a deflating loss we've got to fire the head coach again um, you, can't, you can't do that. Like that's no way to win either. So they've got, probably got to run it back with with Staley um, and the rest of this offense. But um, yeah, it's I, I, Lombardi probably had to go. Yeah, again, I, I think Lombardi definitely had to go. Um, and on the Staley thing, I think it sounds like they're going to keep Staley. So like we can we can have this conversation or whatever. But I, I definitely think that's probably to, um, to his credit. I, I should also say um, that like his players support him like fully, like every yeah. everybody was saying great things. But they, they don't have like a Baltimore Ravens scene going on with the Chargers right now. Everybody was no. saying really nice things about uh, about their role and about Staley. No, yeah, I, I think Staley, the. Guys probably like playing for him and stuff like that. I think he he does have to do some developing. That's a that's a totally like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a totally fair point. Um, just to, coming back to the Joe Lombardi thing, it make, it does make me think of when Joe Lombardi was last an offensive coordinator, which was with the 2014-2015 uh, Detroit Lions. You'll recall that their quarterback was Matthew Stafford, a guy who had a ginormous arm. And the final year uh, that that, uh, Lombardi was the office coordinator there was 2015. Matthew Stafford had a 6.45 air (laughs) yards per target. 6.45. This team has Calvin Johnson. They have Golden Tate. Um, You know, not, I mean, obviously Golden Tate's slot receiver. Theo Riddick has 99 targets (laughs) and 80 catches. They have Eric Ebron, the great Eric Ebron. I mean, this team had some receiving talent. They had an ultra talented quarterback, but they struggled. They almost like overcorrected with Matthew Stafford where early on in his career, he was like a completely reckless gunslinger. Then they put him in the Drew Brees box and it has felt too often. Like Justin Herbert has been in the Drew Brees box, which of course is where Joe Lombardi comes from and everything. So I think that they obviously have to do something, uh, you know, to to progress this offense, to progress Justin Herbert. And a lot of it, I do think, comes back to the receiver talent. Because the crazy thing about you know, Mike Williams, like everybody's freaking out about Mike Williams. Oh, what if Mike Williams is in this game? Dude, Mike Williams, like he's not a separation guy. He's not he's not a yeah. number one receiver, like despite the name, despite they don't have they have guys like Keenan Allen, who I think is a fantastic player. But 
Keenan Allen has a pretty specific role at this point in his career. They desperately need some receiving talent there. Like if they walk into next year with this receiver core with Josh Palmer and Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, I mean, they're not serious. That That's for sure. Yeah, this is one of those teams, um, the Giants are another, where it just, you know, there's a number of receivers who are obviously available right now are going to become available. Hopkins, maybe Mike Evans, like this, this is one of the landing spots. Yeah, it just feels like somebody young, younger and faster, though, uh, than, yeah. than either the two guys that you just mentioned there is probably what they need. But all right, we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we will recap the games from Sunday. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, Bills 34, Dolphins 31. Man, this game... Um, probably was more fun than it had any right to be. You know, Tony Romo, I'm texting my brother-in-law, he's like the biggest Tony Romo fan of all time. And I'm like, man, Romo is really trying to put lipstick on this pig early, uh, you know, early in the game before kickoff, like telling us how close it's going to be. And boy, did Tony Romo prove me wrong because this game was super close. But Andy, we would be remiss if we didn't shout out the MVP of this game, which was absolutely, without question, the play clock. Um, just dunking <laughs> on Miami left and right. At Buffalo's MVP of this game was absolutely absolutely the play clock. I mean, whether it was Skylar Thompson, whether it was Mike McDaniel, they had yeah. no handle on when they were going to hit uh, zero in terms of the play clock. Yeah. And that like the, the, obviously the critical delay of game end of the, at the, at the end of the proceedings, um, they had a, they had a terrible play dialed up too. <laughs> like if they, if it, if it weren't for the delay of game, right. Like they, they just got engulfed at the hand. I was like a shotgun handoff, right. That they, they got dropped uh, two yards, three yards behind the line of scrimmage. That was, that was really rough. Um, and it felt like a, you know, and I, I, I really like Mike McDaniel too. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy to have him like in the collection of NFL coaches. He's got that like, I, I love his press conferences where he's hilarious and nobody in the room is laughing because he's got that deadpan like Mitch Hedberg delivery and all. Like, I just yeah. love Mike McDaniel. Um, I find him really easy to root for. This was this was some really awkward, poor uh, game management. And I like he's he's also been um, like refreshingly candid in press conferences, too. And he was talking about how they thought they had a first down and then they realized halfway, yeah. you know halfway that is that is quite candid yeah like what a wild what a wild thing for a coach to say um you just don't normally expect that level of honesty um it probably happened that way and then on top of it obviously we're dealing with a with a a super young you know depth chart quarterback who had no right being you know getting getting that team as close as they were you couldn't have expected more from him i i will also say like this Miami is the only opponent that Buffalo could play this poorly against and and hope to hope to beat <laughs> that, yep. was, that was in the playoffs. So really, really lucky on that front. Um, you know, that, that this thing where Josh Allen is back to giving the ball away, um, that's that's got to end. You're obviously you know, you've got you've got some degree of difficulty matchups coming up and he, they, they just have to be better. And in, in all respects, we got a, got a good Gabe Davis game, by the way, I thought by and large, we like did. after some after some really terrible Gabe. Gabe Davis games at the at the end of the season. It feels like we never just get a middle of the road Gabe Davis performance, but he was he was quite good in this. Um, Cole Beasley, like reanimated Cole Beasley, was was pretty good. So they they did just enough. Um, 
And I, I don't know, like if I'm a Miami fan, I, I, I actually, I, maybe I feel pretty good coming out of this loss because I can, I can tell myself a story about what it would have looked like with, uh, with Tua. And, right. um, I don't know. I, 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 I guess I feel pretty good. Although Miami of course is, is going to be linked to like Brady and they're going to be linked to free agent quarterbacks as well. But, um, I think, I think I'd feel pretty okay. Your point about Josh Allen is, is so true that, you know, if he plays like this in a, in a game against Kansas city or a game next it's week over. against Cincinnati, it's, they're not, they're not beating them. Um, and you know what, I think we didn't discuss this enough on the preview podcast, but one of the biggest mismatches in this game, like a way that this could stay close. And it did, you know, the, Dolphins pass rush and the way they play aggressively up front. And there were certainly some live by the sword, die by the sword uh, moments for Miami's defense. Like they gave up some uh, Stefan Diggs at like 96 yards in the first quarter. Uh, he took, you know, Xavier Howard, you know, in, in just single man coverage uh, on a cover one look like he took it all the way down you know, the field. So there were definitely some moments uh, where Miami gave up big plays. You know, Khalil Shakir let one slip through his hands d- deep down the field. Obviously, Cole Beasley banged one off his hands at interception. So there were moments where the receivers let Josh Allen down. You know, Tony Romo criticized John Brown for running a wrong route at one point that resulted in one of the interceptions. But they heated up Allen to the point where he took seven sacks. He had all those turnovers. That mismatch with the Dolphins front and the Bills offensive line, like that's something to watch going forward. If the Bills offensive line can't provide adequate protection, I don't think they've been a very good pass protecting team all year long. If they're able to put that pressure on Josh Allen going forward, does he result? Does it result in more mistakes uh, going forward for for Buffalo on Miami? I guess I'd feel good if I was a Dolphins fan, <laughs> but like. What ha- I don't know. The Tua thing is kind of a hard conversation to have because it yeah. sounds like they they all want Tua back. Like I would imagine, it sounds like Tua probably wants to be back. Obviously, the concussion stuff is really scary, really difficult um, to talk about. But you know, I, I I guess if Tua's back there next year and like he's consistently available, they would be a really good team. Yeah, uh, Tua's best games were fantastic. Um, the Baltimore game was absolutely fantastic. Like when when things were really humming for Miami, he looked great. Like I don't know, it wasn't accidental that he ended up in some in some early season MVP conversations. Yeah, Not that that totally. was ever going to happen. But like his best football was great, and like they've come out over the last couple of days and they've said that they don't expect the, they don't think he's a concussion prone player. They, they don't expect the concussion issue to linger into next year. Like, I don't know, not a doctor, but at the very least he has a, he has a pretty extensive concussion history now. Right. And, and I'd be, I'd be petrified about that. Um, if I were, if I were him, if I were a fan of the team, whatever, somebody who cares about Tua, like, that's an issue. That's, that's definitely a worry. Um, but I, you know, I, I also give, uh, completely unrelated. I give, I give Mike McDaniel a lot of credit for crafting an offense around what Tua can do and what he, what he can't do. And I I think, I think by and large, they've, they've made a bunch of really good choices. And like, I think given all the, given all the work that you've put into that, you, you, you got to stay the course with him. Right. Um, and you've got to continue to build on like the best moments from this season. And again, I, if I'm, if I'm a fan of that team, I, I feel okay. I feel like coming out of this game, I can definitely convince myself that we win it. If, if two is a quarterback. I I completely agree with you that about all the two stuff. And I think they designed a great offense with, with, 
with him and around his strengths. And, you know, there are parts of me that was like, well, this offense with how good these skill position players are, which, by the way, not like a banner moment for Tyree Kill or Jalen Waddle in this game. I mean, Jalen Waddle especially made some pretty yeah. t- some pretty tough moments at the catch point for, for Jalen Waddle in this game. So um, keep that at the back of mind as I'm saying this. Like, in theory, this should be a quarterback-proof offense. You know, like, you <laughs> could stick anybody back there, uh, and they run the ball pretty well. Although Raheem Mostert obviously missed this game as well. You know, Raheem Mostert, probably not the guy you want to count on long-term to be your starting running back, but um, because of the injury history. But they run the ball really well. They have these skill position guys. Mike McDaniel schemes things up really well. The spacing in the offense is great. Yada, yada, yada. It should be quarterback proof but it really wasn't like i mean you couldn't just they're not they're not doing what the 49ers are doing right now and sticking a seventh round rookie back there and just acting like nothing happened you know that's not the case (laughs) with the miami dolphins um and and i guess that worries me for next year and beyond because i agree with you like i think you stay the course with tua but like what level of this seems just cold and harsh but like what level of commitment do you give tua because if he has one more concussion like is he missing you know a month of the season or is his career yeah. in question or whatever. And it's like, I guess you just have a better backup plan than you had, but you already went. I mean, this is Teddy Bridgewater thing. You already went out and you got like a, a high quality backup in Teddy Bridgewater. And he was a d- disaster this year from an injury standpoint. So I don't really know. Like the dolphins probably have to make some sort of move at quarterback to the point that they're not like, all right, two is unavailable for a month. Plus like we have to roll with this Skylar Thompson guy. No, just yeah. Um, and, and like, te- like Teddy was probably the right plan. That's just that's just bad injury luck there. Um, but you need to have somebody at least of that level. I don't, you know, off the top of my head, I don't know everybody's contract. I don't, I don't know if one of the one of the Saints guys is available <laughs> next year, right? But you need like a you need like a veteran who can step in and and, yeah. and just sort of run the show. I'm sure both the Saints guys will come available if that's yes. really what you're at. Yeah, and, uh, Andy Dalton starting for this, making making starts for this team in in 2023. Let's just go ahead and put that prediction on the books <laughs> right now. I like I like that call there. All right, next game up here: Giants 31, Vikings 24. You know, Scott Pianowski called this the fraud bowl. I think that was definitely the case uh, with the Vikings, and that sort of proved out to be. But, man, I, I don't know. The Giants were. This was a fun, a really really fun game to watch, Such a fun and especially game. on the Giants side. Such a fun game. And I like I I get it that it was the fraud bowl, but like, I don't know, we got 14 playoff teams now and you're you're just there's yeah. You're gonna have four teams that can't win the Super Bowl, right? Like in any given year. But the fraudy, the fraudiest one was probably the di- the division winner here, which was of course the, the Minnesota Vikings. But yeah, yeah I mean we we certainly they certainly don't need that that extra. Yeah, no, team. no question about that. Like but but what a fun game. Um I, another like signature performance by Daniel Jones. Um, he he's, he's, it's not just that he's looking this good and that he's running this well and all that, and that he has this command of the offense now and, and, and such a comfort level and he gets them out of stuff that, that isn't going to hit and he puts them into goods. Like he's obviously, um, he's made incredible strides as a quarterback, but he's doing it with like, this is just such a like land of misfit toys in this receiving core, right? Yeah. Like, you know, Richie James has looked good. Um, Hodgins has looked good. Um, oh, Slayton Hodgins has had moments, but like, these aren't, these aren't guys that the rest of the NFL wants, right? Like this is, this is as bad as it gets. And none of these guys are like plan a receivers for the team. And the fact that Jones has been, has been this good so late in the season against quality opponents um, is just, uh, it, it is, it is truly impressive. And it puts him, you know, in fantasy terms, it puts him in a very different conversation that he, than he would have been, you know, two, three months ago. Um, he's been excellent. They, uh, there are many paths to upgrade this receiving core with veterans who can make you better right away. So um, I, I trust that they will do that next year. 
um, on the on and the now Vikings. now now teams I think just started to cut you off. Oh, yeah. Now I think feel like teams will want to come to to New York. Like if oh, they can, yeah. and not just because like okay, Daniel Jones is there and Daniel Jones has been has been fantastic. He was just fantastic in this game. I think he had like three attempts or three completions over 15 air yards in this game like they schemed it up really well um around and look the vikings defense stinks that's that's we gotta yep. say that They're, this defense stinks it's sunk yeah it's sunk on sunday it, it's sunk all year long it's been poorly designed whatever but still jones did dice them up in the in the short and intermediate game but i feel like teams will want to come or guys will want to come play um with Brian Dable and these guys in New York because look at the way they've revived Saquon Barkley's career. I mean, he, Saquon Barkley was fantastic in, in this game. Look at the way they revived Daniel Jones' career. And also, like, as we're talking about, you know, head coach hiring season or coordinator hiring season, like, we can't say enough good things about Brian Dable and what they did there. Like, he, Mike Brian Dable has no ties to Mike Kafka. Brian Dable has no ties to Wink Martindale. Like he's not. He's so often we see. All right. Well, I need a coordinator. Let me go Ron Rivera this thing and get somebody from the friends and family <laughs> program. Like what's Rob, what's Rob Chudzinski doing? You know. Let me get yeah. get a friends and family guy in here. Brian Dable did like the exact opposite of that. He's like, I think what the, Mike Kafka does with the Chiefs is cool. Like I, let me get a piece of that offense. Like Wink Martindale, what he does defense, cool. Like so, I don't know. They built such a culture there that I feel like they can probably recruit some like big time receivers potentially come there next year. Oh, uh, it is it is such a good point because you've got creative play calling now, and you've got a you've got a quarterback that everybody believes in at this point. Which again, crazy. I don't I don't think we would have said that you know nope. nine months ago. Would we have said that everybody believes in Daniel Jones? But how can you not believe in Daniel Jones now with all that he's done with this receiving core? Such a good point. Um, I, I think they're they're probably you know, and the Bears fan in me wants wants to say, oh, who wouldn't want to play with Justin Fields? But I think that I think the Giants are a much more attractive. Um, yeah. Um, I'll use the word ecosystem. Um, Boom. Than, than what Chicago is offering right now, like that's just a that's just a great landing spot for a veteran, like ready to win wide out uh, of of almost any type because they they can upgrade everywhere in, the, in that receiving core again like you know like shout out to Hodgins and James who've played great um and and well above anything that I I, I think we would have reasonably expected but um you know the, these are not these are not stars exactly no definitely not although I, I think Isaiah Hodgins might have something I, I'm finally gonna have to do reception perception on Isaiah Hodgins because it's enough already like I I, I, I gotta do it <laughs> so I gotta I gotta do it uh on the Vikings you you started to, to talk about them here and and I, I, I what how do how do you feel like they come out of this game I mean just look in some in some ways it's it's great that Kevin O'Connell got them to the playoffs and I, look we can dog them for the fraud bowl stuff all year long but they made it to the playoffs in the first year of a new head coach um with a roster that I, I think is is a little bit overrated because of guys like Justin Jefferson and how great Jefferson is. Yeah. And, you know, TJ Hawkinson, by the way, 10 catches in this game, your guy, TJ Hawkinson, you know, great midseason trade, but I, this is a roster that I think leaves me wanting for more this year. Yeah. Well, I mean, you made the point that the defense is just an absolute disaster. Like they could yeah. not get off the field. Um, the closest thing that came to a meaningful stop was when uh, uh, Slayton dropped that ball late in the game and he was inconsolable uh, yeah, yeah, about yeah. it. Right. But that wasn't you didn't stop him like he was he yeah. was going to run free. <laughs> Stopped himself. He, the only reason he dropped that ball is because he was looking downfield at the at the, you know, acres of of green ahead of him um, like that. That was just an objectively terrible defense. And they they were, you know, for a long time, they were living off of turnovers. 
and you start facing good teams who aren't going to give the ball away. And, you, you know, then what do you got? They couldn't stop anyone. So that was that was the major problem. I thought, you, you know, I, like people were really frustrated, understandably so, with Kirk Cousins throwing a, you know, three yard check down on fourth and eight for the game's final play. But there's nothing else available on the field. And he was getting dragged to the ground, right? Like I, right. you know, it was a, a, a bad, a really sour note for, for his season to end on because it was by and large a, a good year. And I thought he played a, I thought he played a pretty good game and his only other options there were um, KJ Osborne over the middle of the field with a route that looks like it's about to get undercut and uh, Justin Jefferson down like near the boundary with two defenders around him. I don't know. I, I didn't see anything else there. Um, I, I actually thought one of the, one of the things I wanted to highlight from this game is I thought, um, Xavier McKinney, the guy who made the tackle on Hawkinson, he just played an awesome game. Um, not, not just there, but like, you know, some of the, some of the bracket coverage on Jefferson, there was a, obviously Jefferson had like an efficient games in, in terms of like he caught a bunch of targets, but they didn't go anywhere. Um, and when the Vikings took, there was a play, I don't, I don't have the moment in the game when it happened, but there was a play where like, uh, uh, they took a deep shot. Um, and it, it ended up being McKinney and Jefferson running together alone and they take a deep shot to Jefferson and, um, McKinney like, did, did the thing that you don't see often enough, which is like, if a defender can just get ahead of the receiver, just slow down. Um, he, it was so great. Like he just, he just screened Jefferson away from the ball. He got a little, he got a step ahead of him and he just kind of stopped. And, and all that Jefferson can do is, is make contact. Right. And, uh, I, I don't know. McKinney just played a, an absolutely wonderful game. And, uh, I, I don't know if he got a game ball. I feel like he should have got a game ball. He was great. Overall, like I'm glad you brought that up because it was just a fun defensive game plan. Uh, overall, from from Wink Martindale and the boys there, like this was this is a team in uh, the Giants who because I mean Wink just he is what he is. They play man coverage, they blitz a ton. Like they these they had seen um, you know Justin Jefferson before. They had already had a game plan on film for what they did against him. But the Giants in this game they played 76.8 percent zone coverage. Like that was that was like not even close to what they were doing in the regular season. So it was a great game plan by Martindale. Great game by Xavier McKinney I'm glad you highlighted that um I think the Giants look they're they're going against the Eagles next round like that's going to be tough for them but hey give them a lot of credit there on the Viking side of it I that Kirk Cousins play is is so well highlighted because that's kind of a microcosm of Kirk Cousins season uh nobody was hit more than Kirk Cousins this year um he was often under pressure because this offensive line and like again if you take away Justin Jefferson I don't think this offense has a lot of guys that can hurt you you know Dalvin Cook had an okay fantasy season they're one of the worst rushing teams like from an uh, we talked about like a a pro- overall production standpoint with the uh, with the Chargers earlier, the Vikings were actually a terrible like success rate team. They were a terrible uh, EPA per rush team. Like they were not an efficient running game. I think Cook has to wear some of that. I think the line has to wear some of that. Maybe the scheme a little bit too. But they didn't run the ball well this year. They didn't run the ball well in this game. And <laughs> outside of uh, Justin Jefferson and and TJ Hawkinson, once they got him there, I think they have more names than game uh, for the for the Vikings right now. So they have some work to do in the offseason for sure. You know, one other thing that I'll say about Jefferson and this isn't about him specifically so much as his usage. um, I I would like to have seen him, you know, if if he's going to see like bracket coverage this often, he's going to see this much attention. Um, He only he only saw seven snaps from the slot and he saw no targets from the slot. And like, let's. 
let's let's move Justin Jefferson around yeah. a little bit and let's put him in positions to where where um, he's got more field to work with and where he can he can really make plays because um, like that guy's as good as it gets in the in the league right now. And I would have I would have liked to see him used differently. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think they really I think if you ask them, they probably lost a lot of faith in the other receivers to separate against man coverage. Like once, if you have two yeah. guys on the outside there and Jefferson in the slot, I think they, those throws on the outside were kind of drawn dead. And that might be part of why they did that. But I agree with you. Like, I mean, I can't believe, you know, about a calendar year ago, we're wasting so much breath on like <laughs> Justin Jefferson of the Cooper cup role. And the guy like barely played in the slot. It was a like KJ Osborne yeah. was their slot receiver all year long. So um, keep that in mind. Again, when we go into like coach hiring season that that stuff's not always a direct like uh layover there. All right, let's talk about the final game here. Bengals 24 Ravens 17. The Ravens definitely put up a hell of a fight. Their defense was awesome in this game. You know, they forced Joe Burrow into some uncomfortable situations. You mentioned it that uh, earlier that the biggest play in this game ended up being a defensive touchdown when Tyler Huntley. That will be one of the most frustrating moments like in Ravens history. Tyler Huntley going. Uh, I saw I think I saw Nate Tice compared to like when Rafiki holds Simba over the uh, over the <laughs> over Pride Rock or whatever. Like that's. <laughs> <laughs> that, that and it was so true i mean he wasn't even close to getting over the goal on Bengals just pop it out yeah. sam hubbard takes it all the way back that was kind of the turning point of the game and a very dramatic one but it was a closely contested game and mostly because of baltimore's one baltimore's defense uh stood up to the task and also for cincinnati and i guess we can start there like if they're going to make a long playoff run we've sort of like yada yada and forgot that Oh, yeah, their cornerback position is just decimated with injuries. And they give up, you know, a big touchdown to Demarcus Robinson on a double move. And they got to go deal with Stefan Diggs and, you know, Gabe Davis on go routes next yeah. week. That'll be tough. Yeah, that is a huge problem. Um, they they have a couple of pretty glaring weaknesses right now. One of them uh, on the line, again, uh, at, at corner is a, obviously a glaring weakness. Um that like Baltimore is so is so tricky because part of you wants to say, OK, like, at some point we, we got to change, we got to change our offensive philosophy here. We can't, we can't, we can't keep doing this because <laughs> no. there's no, because there's no deep playoff run in it, but they were so close. They were, they were so close. Um, and uh, as I understand it, the, the play with Huntley was, was designed to like go low, right. And get a big push. And he didn't do it. Like he didn't do any of it. He tried to go over the top, didn't work. Didn't work. When they go low. We go high. Tyler Huntley took it literally. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely wild swing in in that game. But like, I don't. I, I always I always have trouble in these situations where like you want to say, okay, this is how many years now that that you know this super run heavy. Um, don't don't worry about who our receivers are. We don't need them anyway. Sort of sort of philosophy um, hasn't worked, and yet my God, they were they were so close to winning this game with their backup quarterback. It's really hard to talk about um, the Ravens because of the Lamar Jackson stuff. And, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I wrote in my Care Don't Care recap article, like, let's let's live in the world for a second that Lamar Jackson's going to, like, come back to this team and everything will be fine. They'll free their franchise tag him. It doesn't matter. They didn't fly with the team. You know, by the way, Mike Williams didn't fly with the team. You know, two it, it was such a good point you made. Like, it, how common is it for guys to like fly with the team and be on the sidelines? Like, there's a lot of injured dudes um, tied to these playoff rosters yeah. who were not on sidelines for their team, but we only talked about Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I think we're talking about it because of all the other stuff that's going on, but I don't know that that actually matters. Like, in the great, like, oh, he's done with the Ravens because he didn't fly with the team. I don't know that that actually matters, but, um, you know, if you live in that world that, 
everything is going to be fine there. And I don't know that that world is reality. But if we live there for a second, I think they do. I'm not saying like they need to fire Greg Roman because you're right. Like there's a benefit to being this much of a frustrating run game to prepare against. And, you know, J.K. Dobbins had some you you pointed out on the outline that he had some thoughts on his postgame usage. He said that the quotes were, you know, kind of taken the wrong way, this sort of stuff. But it was pretty hard to not do it. Like the part about his usage and being like the guy to call yeah. the goal line. Yeah, I don't think that's too hard to to miss there. Maybe the Lamar stuff like saying, like, oh, if Lamar had played. Because I think everybody's trying to like make the narrative that you know, and Sammy Watkins did Lamar no, of course Sammy Watkins did Lamar no favors when he talked about it prior to the game, like Lamar should be out there or whatever. But um, Marlon Humphrey also at now I'm going a different direction, but Marlon Humphrey also added that like he's limping around the facility, he's not healthy, like we know that. But I think this offense does need to evolve in some way, like. They can they can still be this very difficult run team. They can be this very difficult team to uh, prepare for from like a rushing game perspective, the heavy personnel sets, stuff like that. But you've got you've got to be a better pass offense. Like whether maybe you hire one of these guys like Scott Turner or a Mike LaFleur or something that I think has designed good passing concepts, but isn't that great of an actual in-game play caller to help you like design the pass game a little bit more. And then you've got you can't I love Rashad Bateman, but you can't walk into a season with just Rashad Bateman and nothing else in the wide receiver room. You've got to be able to recruit some big, t- like some veteran receivers to come here. You just can't go into next year like this if Lamar is even there. Yeah, it's it's such a good point. Thank thank goodness that like uh, Marlon Humphrey was like the 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 one adult on this on this roster who who like had Lamar's back. Um, wild, absolutely wild to hear Sammy Watkins um, take shots at at. Lamar Jackson, like Sammy Watkins, who just showed up and hasn't been a particularly relevant player in a long time anywhere. Yeah. Um, Thanks for coming by, Sammy. Thanks for coming back and and making things a little more uncomfortable than they already were. Thanks for coming. Seriously. And there's just like there's a little bit of this team needing to sort of get its house in order because um, for for Dobbins to come out at, at the end of a season in which, you know, he needed maintenance during the year. It's not like J.K. Yeah. Dobbins was um, the the rookie year version of Dobbins all season. Like he needed he needed time off. He needed he needed maintenance. He needed you know he obviously couldn't finish runs as as well as he could uh, you know when he first came into the league. So like he's got a lot of work to do in the off season, and then to complain about usage uh, at the end of this one, I don't know. It's a little bit disrespectful to Gus Edwards, who's a pretty good player. It's a little bit disrespectful to, you know, the organization generally. I was, I was surprised by it. Um, Cause he, he basically got, you know, his usual role plus, you know, like when, do, when does JK Dobbins get more than a dozen carries? And I know he's, yeah. that's what he's complaining about, but he like, this is, this is what it's been. And it's probably what it's going to be going forward too. Like you're just, you're not going to be a 25 carry guy. You know, you're not as good a runner as Lamar Jackson. Like when they have everything in place, like you're the second best rushing threat on that team. I think that's, I do think that's part of the problem though, at this point that the, I mean, whether, whether you think like Lamar is milking the injury or, or whatever, this is two years in a row now where he hasn't been able to finish the season or had yeah. he finished the season banged up. Like, I get that like it's sort of the it's the live by the sword, die by the sword thing where if you're going to live with Lamar as a rusher, like you're going to put yourself in some tough spots here. Like I and I think Dobbins, to his credit, has he was fantastic in this game. At, at some points, I do mm-hmm. think they kind of got away from him needlessly. He's made a pretty incredible comeback. But um, yeah, I, I do agree with you that the Ravens, for a lot of different reasons, 
need to get their house in order. And I will be really fascinated. They'll be one of the most fascinating teams to talk about over the next two to three months here. Like, do they make any coaching change? I think John Harbaugh is going to be there. I think John Harbaugh will, will, he should be there. Um, But they've sort of capped themselves at a ceiling here. And I, I wonder the def look, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and (laughs) expecting different results. And I think the Ravens since they turned over Lamar to the start as a starter, they have been the exact same team. I think it's a little tough to look at the roster and think, the problem here is eight. The problem here is the quarterback. And if we just get a different quarterback in here, we can be completely, we can really open things up. I think that's <laughs> tough to justify. Like I would, it's like, if you're going to bring Lamar back and I think you should, by the way, you should bring Lamar back. Like there should be no circumstances. Like, yeah, we got, it. unless the relationship is totally too far gone. This is not a Russell Wilson situation. The guy's in the prime yeah. of his career. You know, you should bring Lamar back, and you probably got to meet him halfway from like a we need to evolve the offense standpoint. Yeah, and you need you you need better receivers. Like you need better. Receivers. <laughs> I mean, there's just no question about it. You're so right. And like for Rashad Bateman cannot be like you can't go into another season where your plan is for Rashad Bateman to to absolutely have like some supernova season. I mean, he's he's a good player. Um, but, uh, even if he was going to have, even if he was going to have that supernova season and I think he started off really great, he gets hurt and then you're back to the Demarcus Robinson show. And like that, that's just not real. Yeah. You can't be the team that has to go out and find Sammy Watkins off the discard pile, uh, in the, in the middle of the year. It just can't happen again. All right. That is going to do it for us. Andy feels like it'd been forever since you've been on the podcast. We did talk to each other recently, uh, during the Treviso babes rap party. <laughs> um, shout one last Treviso babes shout out for the road, man. Uh, the Andy was nice enough to grace us with his presence for 15 minutes during the, uh, over zoom for the Treviso babes wrap up party. Um, you, the ladies like, had, they had like a like a high school sports banquet that's what that yeah. was that was so everybody got an award that was incredible everybody was, yeah everybody got an lead. award uh shout out to julie she ends up being our winner uh she gets to win a free subscription to receptionperception.com <laughs> after some arm <laughs> twisting by my mom uh so um i'll put i'll i'll tweet out a few of the awards and some of the stuff but yeah andy and i zoomed in uh for 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 some of it and uh they they had a blast uh i think we got out of there before uh, uh the drinks really started flowing andy which is probably <laughs> probably for the best i think my mom had to do a lot of uh, designated driving that night from my uh from my understanding Oh, that was a that was a party. It's it's incredible that they did that. Like, you know, the highlight of of most leagues is the is obviously the draft and getting together in person. And it was so not enough leagues do the do the postseason. Hey, let's all run it back. Let's all get in the same room and give each other crap and sort of celebrate this stupid thing that we all play. So that was really great to see. That was great to see. And uh, yeah, mostly because I think there's a lot more hard feelings at the end of most fantasy leagues. But the, <laughs> the, <laughs> These ladies have somehow, despite all of all of my meddling in the process, have somehow main, uh, maintained a pretty. Maybe pretty, that's pretty the benefit to never making yeah. a trade throughout an entire yeah. season is that there just are not hard feelings at the end of the year. Yeah, outside of uh, Julie, who was the one who did trade, did the I'll trade Tam, Tammy, our last place finisher, <laughs> uh, trading back the Tom, the Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady thing that we talked about on the pod this year. So shout out to them. They've given us a lot of content. They are they are very convinced that they are getting a reality show here at Yahoo Sports uh, next year. So we have a lot of planning to do for that in the offseason. Another shout out. Happy birthday to Lord Podcast. I mean, my God, the greatest podcast producer on planet Earth. 
shout out to him. I know he had a uh, had himself uh, quite the weekend. So shout out to Wild our great weekend. producer John Gennaro, Lord Podcast. What would we do? What would we do without the the Treviso Babes and Lord Podcast? Andy, It'd just be me and you <laughs> talking to each other about um, kickers and uh, the worst players in the NFL here every usually every Monday morning during the season. <laughs> That is exactly right. We talked about nothing but dogs in the in the waiver wire show. So thank oh man, the Treviso babes really saved this thing. They saved our ass this year. All right. I will be back on Thursday with the betting bros to preview the divisional round. My God, we've got some big games coming up this weekend. That's going to be absolutely electric. Until then, we're out. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.